0: A warning. This podcast contains references to subjects and discussions that could be hard for some people to hear. So please take care when you're listening. When you look at the research behind the like global misinformation campaign, it's because they want to get mums because mums are the ones primarily making the health decisions. So if they can turn the mums, then they can, you know, get their get their point across, which is to undermine public health effectively. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball, queenie, queenie, don't drop
1: the ball, queenie, queenie,
2: don't drop the ball, down come baby cradling off. Kia ora, no my heart in mai, and welcome back to Tell Me About It, the podcast where we're taking down the patriarchy one episode at a time. Yes we are.
1: No better way to spend a morning.
2: I'm so glad we're back. I'm Noelle McCarthy. I'm Michelle Duff, And I'm Kirsty Johnston. So we're back from our break and cracking straight into it with something that is on everyone's minds at the moment, I feel.
0: Yeah, this week we're talking about what it's like to watch people you care about fall down the rabbit hole of misinformation.
2: So there, we're going to talk about what's been happening over the past couple of years around the world where people have been believing false or misleading information on social media and on sort of fake news websites.
1: Yeah, Michelle, I feel like we've seen so many recent examples of this overseas, you know, with Donald Trump's presidency in America and the lead up to his election and also, of course, recently in Ukraine where so many Russian people are being told things that aren't real but mostly of course everywhere all over the world um, in the anti-vaccine movement.
2: Yeah and I think that we have uh, seen it from afar you know we've, we've seen this happening over in the states and we've read about it but now only recently we're seeing it here and it's really impacting us like um, I've had friends I've known for 30 years accusing me as a journalist of being paid by Jacinda Ardern to spread her message. That's rough, being accused of that by your friend. What, what was that like, Michelle? Oh, well, it's happened more than once, and it's not a fun time. I mean, it's kind of like I just think, what are you talking about? I mean, you know me, and you know my word. Do you really think my conscience can be brought?
0: It's all linked to, like, broader misinformation campaigns, right, that are designed to kind of polarise people and, I guess, to democracy. Like, it's not just about vaccines, but they are, like, the latest iteration of it. I mean, if it wasn't COVID, I think it'd be something else where they're just mm. propagating these Un- untrue ideas. and I think the um, it was really obvious, like this was on most obvious display at the occupation of parliament where there were signs everywhere displaying like patently wrong information about the vaccines, right next to other signs being like, hang the prime minister mm. for treason. You're right next
2: to each other, eh? Like, as if there's, like, nothing, you know, nothing to see here. We're, like, just friendly people. I saw that on the back of vans, you know, down by the law school. I was
1: walking up from the train station and I was, called me naive, but I really was quite shocked, to see that, I know both of you, you know, have a lot more exposure to what's going on in the world in real time on a daily basis, you know, because you both work in news. Were were you shocked to see that? Did you, Michelle and Kirsty, did you know that this stuff was out there?
2: I think we've both been following, you know, the rise of information and the sort of undercurrent of misogyny and, and hatred that's behind it for quite a while, eh, Kirsty? The rise of misinformation, yeah. you mean? Yeah. yeah, sorry, what did I say? <laughs> the of information. Oh,
1: no. <laughs> Which can also
0: be problematic, but not as problematic no, as no, misinformation. No. The, rise, the rise of yeah. lies and fabrications. Yeah, and it's not just, you know, misogyny, it's Islamophobia, it's like this entire soupy mess of, like, imported, alt-right politics, you know. And and it, we feel like it's a feminist issue, of of course, but we'll we'll talk about that. But, I mean, yeah, I do think that seeing it in your own seeing it overseas and then seeing it in your own backyard is like completely different i mean michelle you went down to the um the occupation on the day that police cleared it and there were those huge riots what was it like what was it like down
1: there it was crazy enough to watch it on telly i mean to watch the slide in the playground burning and all those tents on fire i can't imagine michelle what it would have been like to be there
2: yeah I mean I was compelled to go to be honest I didn't I was meant to be doing some other story but I was watching the live stream like both the uh I'm gonna say reality-based media rather than mainstream media live stream (laughs) and
1: yeah useful helpful
2: and some of the other ones you know by the some of those like misinformation peddlers and I was just like the just the difference between them and the way that they were actually distorting reality in real time it was so alarming. And I just thought I need to be there and I need to, you know, see what's happening and do what I can actually to do my job and bring, you know, what's happening back to people.
1: And just to be clear, you know, when you say misinformation peddlers, the ones you're mm-hmm. talking about in this context were people who were live streaming. From the occupation, you know, who were um, down there the day of the riots, part of the riots, starting the riots, those
2: people. Despite seeing with their own eyes and it being recorded on camera, protesters lighting fires, you know, they started spreading rumours that it was the police who did it or, you know, or other left wing activists, you know, which was patently not true. It's like a wholesale denial of reality, which I actually think that you've sort of seen that in your reporting too, eh, Kirsty?
0: Yeah, kind of in a different way. Like, I spent um, months, I mean, like, way too long for my mental health watching um, wellness influences on Instagram. And, like, over that time, I saw them kind of grow increasingly, I guess, emboldened in their willingness to promote anti-vax ideals, like, to promote these ideas that vaccines are somehow toxic or harm babies, um, and, and, like, to see them, I was watching them try and convince their followers effectively not to get vaccinated,
2: It's so disturbing, A, just the way women have been weaponized to make this information palatable, you know, like the soft sort of mum vibe of someone just wanting to take care of their kids. And, you know, you saw that I I really feel like that came through in that story you wrote, Kirsty, and also just the sometimes, uh, you know, at the protest as well, the way that kids were sort of down there, Um, like it was a whole family you know family sort of event the way that that was presented
0: yeah and it's deliberate I mean all those images that you see on Instagram of like a pregnant woman or like a very wholesome usually white woman holding like a perfect you know baby and then the imagery or the message the message with the imagery is like vaccines will kill you you know or like are you sure the vaccine's Mm. safe like and the reason that they're doing that is when you look at the research behind behind the like global misinformation campaign, it's because they want to get mums because mums are the ones primarily making the health decision. So if they can turn the mums, then they can you know, get their their point across, which is to undermine public health effectively. Mm, And they do that
1: by, as you say, Kirsty, by tapping into their anxieties. Now, I know that our guest today is going to talk about that, you know, going to talk about that targeting of women and why it is a feminist issue, as you say. Um, And we're really thrilled to have Anka Richter with us, a journalist who's been reporting on cults for years. She has a book coming out very soon about cults, and she's been through the experience of watching people she knows be sucked into these sorts of worlds many times and um, she's now set up an activist group targeting misinformation and she's going to talk to us today about the parallels that she sees between the world of cults and the anti-vax movement because they're there. So welcome to you. Thank you so much for um for being our
3: guest this morning, Anka. Okay, oh, I do It's Great to be here. Yeah, so
0: first of all, Anka, I really want to know, like in your opinion, is the anti-vax movement is that a kind of cult?
3: So, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have said this um 2 years ago because I actually didn't know that much about it. I always knew that they were wrong, what they're stating, but I didn't really understand how cultic it is and not just in how it affects people, but how it's actually orchestrated and run. So that's only become um, more clear to me over those last two years and by working with people um, in the anti misinformation space and in this group that we started called Facto Aotearoa, Um there's some people who have who've been watching the anti-vax um, movements for years and years and years and they really understand a lot more about it. And it's uh, – I mean, there are people really – pushing pushing misinformation paying others to spread it from Andrew Wakefield who's right at the heart of it all with his with his um false autism claims and then there are a lot of peddlers of supplements and whatnot and "Quote unquote wellness products that um they all have some kind of financial um or commercial interest to get people um against the vaccine and pro what they're peddling. So I I totally see it as as a cut. Even that even though there isn't just one you know there isn't one guru and there isn't one group uh, that you join, it doesn't actually work like that in general with cuts. Anyway, yeah. You when we
1: talked, Anka, you talked about how sex and power and money. Are often the the you know the most important dynamics when it comes to cults. What are the dynamics and the parallel dynamics that you're seeing in the
3: anti-vaccine movement? Oh well, maybe the sex not so much, but if you you can transfer that to. Um Imagery and um, looks and Instagram influences and all that. So, but let's put that that aspect aside. But definitely, um, power and money. I think it's more the um, the belonging side. It's finding a home for people who've been um, disenfranchised. So, if you look at um, why do why does someone who's a normal person, you know, isn't isn't necessarily conspiratorial or or into wacky beliefs for starters, but maybe has a little child, takes them to the clinic, gets the vaccination, maybe child gets a fever and the next day mom is very worried calls the health um helpline or whatever you know calls the nurses maybe gets a dismissive answer maybe she gets treated like she's hysterical and whatnot and um and suddenly she's she has fear and she thinks oh my god no one's really taking me seriously but I'm worried about my child and along comes an anti-vax friend and she's welcomed with open arms and there's a whole group of people who want to talk to her about it, who, who understand her, her worries and who have a an answer and a solution. That's how it starts. And that's, you know, it's, that's how, how cults, Work And even if it's not deliberate love bombing and recruitment and putting out misinformation, even, even if it's not done deliberately by people who are more at the bottom of that pyramid, it still works um, even indirectly that you, you fall into something that helps you at first, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, that maybe is good for you even right? If you do some self-help programs and yoga and whatnot. So there are a lot of parallels in terms of a lot of good people end up in these spaces. Anke, okay, I find it
2: really interesting to hear you characterize it like that. And because I have seen, you know, many people that I know and love, and I think we all have at this point, actually, and who we sort of think, you know, I should know better being kind of sucked down these rabbit holes. So What I'm sort of hearing you say is that, um, you know, it's often that these people sort of feel like forgotten or that they haven't been listened to or, you know, I guess you can kind of understand if you've, um, you know, not been sure about being vaccinated and then lost your job and then, you know that kind of thing how how someone reaching out and saying oh hey we can we're we're in the same spot how
3: how that could be really intoxicating it is and and you know people need support and they're all isolated already because we are in a pandemic we've had lockdowns everyone's on social media so you're already in the uh, in this, in our, in our world today, you're already more susceptible to, to to landing in an echo chamber where that becomes your one and all, and where you feel seen and heard. Whereas you know, you and you lose touch with reality and the actual world out there, where you just go down and see your GP and talk to your local nurse, or you know, to your friend in the coffee shop. No, you you end up in this parallel universe that gives you all the answers and all the support and all the love, and that's that's the cultic dynamic, and I. I totally agree with you Michelle it's it's you know we how, how do we stay compassionate to what's playing out there and why that happens because it can actually happen to all of us i mean we're we're kind of inoculated because we're we're all journalists okay that that helps and i'm I'm married to a doctor i guess that helps as well we kind of get it that the media is not lying to us because we work in the media and i know that doctors not out there to kill us because i live with one and i trust him so we're, we're very privileged in that way but not everyone is and i think we always have to remind ourselves that we all have and a killer seal where something can land. Um, no one, no one's immune to that. So this is why I'm always really careful not to shame and mock and blame people who've fallen for the information. But then when does the the victim of that misinformation become the perpetrator, right? When, when are they actually causing harm and not just harm by not wanting to get vaccinated? You could say, yeah, that is causing harm because for the greater good, they're not doing the right thing, you know, but they would say, oh, it's just my individual choice. Okay, I can kind of live with that even though I don't, quite agree with it but what about those who are actively driving those narratives who are monetizing them and we will know their names we know who they are um Christy and michelle you've done great work you know around all this and we need to point at them and hold them accountable While we're not kicking down at those who've fallen for their spiel and under their spell and it's a fine line to walk and i don't always get it right <laughs> That that's an issue
1: though, Anka, isn't it? In terms of like you've also got the issue of the platforms that they're they're using, you know, the places where these communications are happening, because there's no accountability there. Governments have sort of made half-hearted, you could argue, attempts to try to bring Facebook to heel, but it's not working
3: it's not working and i mean <laughs> i'm a hypocrite because i the, the first group that i helped to start is this facebook group called rabbit hole resistance so that's not an activist group but it's a support group for people who are concerned about their friends and family who have fallen down the rabbit hole so it's a really compassionate supportive space it is really tricky how do we how do we shut down what needs to be shut down and push against it and call it out but we do it also on in in the media outlets that we work for which we know are not the ones that the people who should follow them are following yeah we we're not um they, they watch counter spin and we talk on radio new zealand and on this podcast and you know and stuff and the spin-off so you know, i've been watching this this train wreck of a shit show excuse me you know outside parliament for the last weeks and i was in utter despair and i was just this is just tragic so i it wasn't and then seeing the violence of uh, of of the whatever we're going to call it Riot Riot wednesday or on Ash Wednesday or Battle of Battle of Portero, as someone called it. Um is I I can't even really get upset about the violence on the streets so much. I mean, I'm from Europe, you know. It's not so shocking for me to see police violence and riots. What's far more shocking, concerning for me is the overlap of what what you pointed out earlier, of peace, love, and, you know, Cumbia next to let's hang Jacinda Ardern and swastikas and that kind of outright fascist propaganda. The, the, the hippie friends on my Facebook that I've seen spouting um, the Nuremberg Code, which is complete, um, I mean, it's completely insane to start with because it doesn't apply. <laughs> it's not a thing. <laughs> um, but what it actually means, it's outright fascist. It, it advocates for hanging journalists and doctors and politicians and scientists because we're all out to kill the population with vaccinations, right? So how, that's that's the violence that I'm really, really concerned about. And this is why, um, you know, the, the group that I'm uh, doing a bit of media work for, all, we, we sent this appeal out to the protest organisers where we actually said, you need to denounce that. If, if you especially the, those who are running the pro-fest, you know, the more sort of the hippie festival, music festival side of things, if you stand there with outright fascists and neo-Nazis and you're not you're not denouncing their violence, if you keep s- spreading the same messages as Counterspin, you're guilty for what, you know, you, you're in the same boat with them. So that's kind of what I'm pointing at. So I know everyone was shocked to see what happened on on the Wednesday and, and, and all the the fires and whatnot. Yes, it's crap, but that's just the outer. It's almost like it's just the, the outer layer of what's what's happening inside people's heads, and that's actually, for me, far more of a worry than, than, than a fire that could luckily – I mean, we were lucky. No one actually got – no one got killed, yeah? But what about the mass psychosis that is playing out? What about all these disenfranchised, frustrated, angry, beaten down, misinformed – People possibly sick with COVID, uh, half of them, coming home, not only infecting their communities with, with with Omicron, but just as bad, spreading the infodemic that they're so entrenched in. That's that's really, I, I'm, it's kind of like a call out now. I think to psychologists, to to, to people in this field who need to take this more seriously than we have in the past. Because to be honest, I think we've been very complacent here in our total. We've been, you know, we've had it pretty sweet. We had almost two COVID-free years, but um, we didn't really see that the infodemic did creep in because you can't just stop that with MIQ at the borders.
1: And the last question, I guess, and it's a maybe an impossible question. Is there a way out? Like we were getting so many messages. We put a message on our Tell Me About It Instagram page asking our listeners about how they dealt with their friends going down a rabbit hole. And... There were so many people who said it was impossible to argue with my friend. It was so draining. I mean, Michelle, you had so many messages, didn't you? From people who were just saying they had to cut off contact from people or block them. You know, is there is there something people can do in that situation? Is there a way out, Anka?
3: I'm really glad that you're asking that because it's really important to to think about what we are, how we how we interact. So I'm... Just quoting now from the many, you know, good from all the good research that's been done on that. Um, so the best strategy from my understanding is um, you've got to di- differentiate between what you do online in a more so public way and what you do in your private space. So online, you're not gonna change someone's mind. And especially not by attacking them or telling them that they're stupid or that they're wrong or that they're conspiracy theorists. What you should always do, though, if you see someone posting something that's, that's clearly not untrue, that's untrue or where they're spreading misinformation, actually post a link or a debunk or just say that's not correct because there're always others watching you who are following you or who think that you've got it right but maybe they're not quite sure and then they go oh okay Michelle's just said that's actually not true we just report about it. and they go okay cool I can believe Michelle here so so you're doing kind of public service by debunking stuff but you you're not going to win anyone over I mean the one you, you the ones you're going against, you're not going to win them over online on in Facebook debates. So save your energy for those who really matter of your friends and that might just be a very small group. Um and because it requires a lot of Energy, and again, it, you can't just you can't even do it in messaging. I think you have to sit down together and go for a walk, or at least have a call, um, maybe voice messages, but but not just in a written form. You have to take the time where you actually almost go down the rabbit hole with them and try and understand why they're there and and have compassion for that, and then maybe ask some question at the right point where you can offer something like, "Well, what would make you think differently about?" The, you know, what, what would help you to to believe that Pfizer is not out to kill us? What would you need from from someone or so? You know, you, you really actively try and come in and help them, steer them, but in the right direction, but mostly actually not direct them so much, but actually just understand and listen and have compassion. Because in the end, it's very similar to someone being an account, okay? Okay. You're not going to reach them by telling them that their guru is dodgy and an abuser and and they're crazy and it's just completely batshit what they believe in. The only thing that helps is that you, you you hold out a hand to them. You say, hey, I still love you. I don't agree with what you're into. I don't think it's the right thing for me, but I still love you and I'm here. Because the time will come, and I think this, especially now after, you know, all these people returning from the protests, the time will come where people are going to come out of this, hopefully, again. And they will need people who who haven't mocked them and who still stand there and say, "Yeah, I, I get that. This was wow. You were on something crazy there, but I still love you, and I'm still here." So that compassion on the personal level is super important. And but but don't don't even try to. to do it publicly. Do it. Do it one on one. That's the only thing that helps. And to be honest, I'm not really good at that. I just don't have enough patience. I, I'm too frustrated. I want to be right. I want to tell them they're wrong. So this is probably why same. I've been channelling, channelling. <laughs> <think>, so <Sorry>. yeah. <laughs> but that's that's probably why I've been channelling.
2: I was just listening to you, Anke, thinking, "Oh, you're the nicest person in the world that you're doing this for your friends, like just taking them for lovely walks
0: and like listening to them." Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about
3: all the memes I've been posting about the produce. Like, oh God.
1: Which
0: I got
3: I have to be honest, guys, it's actually, I I advise you to do that, but it doesn't mean that I'm doing that because I'm, like I said, I'm pretty hopeless of it. I just get too frustrated. So I I channel all my energy more into empowering others that they can do that and setting up these groups and thinking about media campaigns and and all of that because I've got to do something, but I'm I'm often too too impatient with the one-on-one, but I just admire everyone who can do it and it's so needed. So yeah, we need more people out there doing the compassionate thing and talking one-on-one to each other.
1: Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today, Anka. When's your book out? When are we going to be able to read your book?
3: Oh, well, it's, it's not going to be until November, but I hope it's going to be an eye-opener about cuts in Aotearoa. Yes.
1: We're so excited. You can come back on and talk about that too, hopefully.
3: I would love if to. If you want to. Thanks for all the good work you do. I'd love to. Thanks, Thanks for all so much. Thanks, Thanks for Anka. being here. Bye, Bye, Anka. Bye, Anka.
2: And that was Anke Richter, a cult journalist and researcher. Look, I don't know about you. I actually feel surprisingly better after hearing Anke talk about that. I think it might, for me, it helps, I think, to understand some of the reasons that, like she says, good people would you know, fall into this um, and, and be, be captured in this sort of henaki of misinformation. What did, what did you guys think?
0: Yeah, I think what she said, the the most interesting part for me was about the line between, like, victim and perpetrator. Like, at what Mm. point does someone go so deep down the rabbit hole and, like, begin to profit off it? And, like, at what point are they part of the machine rather than just falling prey to it and I think particularly when I was doing that influencer story that's what I found really difficult it's like at which point at what point is that is it like a knowing thing that they're doing harm and because also the thing is that you have to remember is that these people genuinely believe this stuff like some of them genuinely believe that the government is like out there killing kids and so that's like very sad and I think you do have to have compassion for them at the same time as being like you were you are harming others with your behavior. Like it's a really complex thing to be able to hold. And I think what Anka said about compassion is like, it it's kind of the only way forward, right?
1: Yeah, I thought that too. And you know what struck me? I think we were all laughing about it was how hard work it is you know to actually engage with this stuff and engage with the people we love who hold these beliefs that in some cases are super disturbing as you say Kirsty and really destructive you know so it sounds like it's kind of you know it's a it, you can't just send a text message or post something on Instagram and think oh there there you go I've changed someone's mind like and you might already know that Michelle from you know those conversations you're having with your friends but they sound exhausting as well so you know, you have my sympathy there.
2: Yeah, I really did think I should go round to their houses, the two friends in particular who I've known for years, and have that have a proper conversation with them about it. But then I was like, ugh, I, I just, I was like, why am I having to
0: do that? <laughs> Yeah, but also you need to look after yourself. Like that's a key point yeah. as well. Like you shouldn't do it to your own detriment because, like, we are in a really challenging time. Like, there's a pandemic, there's a war. Like, you know, I think it's okay. You don't have to shoulder that entire burden yourself, mate.
1: Especially when you're down
0: with oh, the thanks, riots friend. a couple of weeks ago, you know. <laughs> Grim. Just chill out. Everyone just chill out. <laughs> Although in saying that, I think something that Anka was pointing out is that like all of us are so, like in New Zealand particularly, we're so complacent about this stuff. Mm, like yeah. I was thinking, you know, will anything actually change? Like will people start to realize that misinformation is like a threat? Because, you know, even after we had March 15 in Christchurch, like people didn't take this stuff Seriously, you know, for all of the kind of research and chat about how Instagram and Facebook are like the nexus of this misinformation war, we've still got, like, the Prime Minister doing Facebook Mm. Live events. And like Anka said, she felt hypocritical for using Facebook for their, you know, anti-misinformation group. It's just like, impossible to know what's going to
1: happen. And that's enraging I mean I know what we're all saying about personal responsibility and for sure but when you still have these incredibly powerful you know they're they're like global platforms who are essentially doing the bare minimum if that after the fact then you know that that is something that makes me feel hopeless like I want some sort of sweeping change there I want someone who'll come along and bring you know, bring that under control because I think you need
3: both.
2: Yeah, that's so true, Noelle. I just, I totally agree. And I think that we cannot actually underplay the fact that this, what happened in the last sort of three weeks with the uh, occupation of parliament and the Anna Fifield, the Dominion Post editor, said this really well on Twitter, is that it was actually an assault on democracy and on the fourth estate. And just because the fires are out now, that doesn't mean that we can be complacent because this is going to continue, and those people are going to go home to their communities and be spreading those ideas further. So, yeah, I mean, mm. I don't, I don't know how we even, I don't know how we contend with that. Anyone got the answer? You keep doing your jobs, you know. I think that's that's what you do. Like, I, I, Anka
1: called it an infodemic, which I hadn't heard that phrase before. Maybe you've heard it before, Kirsty or Michelle, but I hadn't and I think yeah they
0: call it like um the information war and and things like that and yeah I mean I know Michelle and I will probably both keep working on this but in saying that it is it is exhausting like when I was following those influencers, it literally started to mess with my like mind watching these people kind of living in an alternate reality and also just pushing ideas that are so harmful like so much of what they like propagate is like you know all these ideas about natural immunity and like your body can do it and and if you take that further like along the path it ends up literally as like social darwinism which is the the thing that underpins like eugenics and like nazism and nazism yeah it just begins to like melt your mind
1: Mm, you have to be careful. I hope you're taking breaks as well. I mean, says Mum here, but <laughs> that sounds awful, girls. Well, I
0: unfollowed them all. So good, yeah. What about you, Michelle? I know you've really struggled with it as well. Oh look,
2: it just wears you down. I think you know. Every time I write a story about misinformation or COVID, like myth, like anti-COVID myths or that kind of thing, I get you know hundreds of emails or you know that people attacking on social media, that kind of thing. And you can ignore it. Like, you've got to have a thick skin as a journalist uh, to an extent. But, yeah, I mean, it's not a fun time. And especially at that protest, you know, the minute I went there, there were people like, oh, you're the mainstream media, tell the truth, just abuse um, that I've never experienced. It's, it's more that it just makes you feel like it's hard to sleep at night. <laughs> mm.
1: Well, thank you both for uh- – doing your work and for coming in and talking about this today. We're gonna to talk about something a bit more uplifting
2: next week, actually, I think. <laughs> oh well you know what, Noelle? We're actually gonna be here every week. And <laughs> yes, we are. So- No <laughs> I love that you thanked us for coming in. Thank yeah. you for doing Thank
0: you. Because I know it's been <laughs> Thank a busy, busy time wardrobe <laughs> at home. I was the wardrobe well, well, sheltering. You're sheltering in place. Wardrobe's bloody great you know what the neighbors, my neighbors have got Omicron. So all the kids are at home and I don't know if you guys could hear but they were like in their pool shouting whilst we were recording which is just new ambience for the listeners yeah like you, you
1: well it's it's better than a plane which is usually what's in the background
2: when you're talking cuz both of you know look flight path just- I've had to use my husband's computer today and his messages keep popping up from his workmates and his like Slack channel. Delighted to hear that John's so um, popular. I think he, he needs to do some work, I think by the looks of some of them, but he's busy (laughs) with our child. So sorry. (laughs) We'll see you next week. We're back. Who's our guest next week? Actually next week. Yes. We have Sienna Yates, who is going to be talking about women's magazines. Total change of pace, total
1: change of scene. We're looking forward to it. We'll see you next week. Matua. Te Tell me about it is made for stuff by Bird of Paradise Productions. It was produced by me, Noelle McCarthy, and written by me, Kirsty Johnston, and Michelle Duff. Our script supervisor is Eugene Bingham. And thanks to Janine Fenwick and Eugene for editorial oversight. Mixed by Mark Chesterman. And our theme tune is Queenie Queenie by Tammy Nielsen, our queen. You can like the podcast and leave a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me About It is made possible by funding from New Zealand on Air.
0: Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the
3: ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't
2: drop the ball. Down come baby, cradling on.